I love preaching the Word of God because the Word of God speaks into every area of life. It speaks into our situation, our worldview. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And though, so this morning we get a, a chance, we've just finished our series on the great I am in which we have seen who Christ is and his declaration of who he is as God. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Last week we finished with I am the vine. But this morning we get a chance to look at a passage in which the Word of God compels us to live out the gospel in the world in which we live. Peter, who writes this book, which we'll be in this morning, has just reminded those that are scattered all over the world that they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They are sojourners and exiles in this world, but he tells them, guess what? The world is watching you. So that's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Church, the world is watching you. No matter how bad it gets, keep your conduct honorable. Live out the gospel in relation to the authorities in which God has put in place. I've entitled this sermon, The Gospel and the Role of Government, in which Peter addresses here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to there, 1 Peter is at the end of your Bible. It should be on page 1,115 in the Pew Bible in front of you. It's at the end of your Bible. If you work backwards, you'll run into it. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, that's where we'll begin this morning with the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject... For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that, you, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You may be seated this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we uh, get an opportunity to come before you and hear from you and your word and your truth and be challenged by the truths of the gospel to live out our faith in every area of our life, Father. When it comes to authority and civil government, Father, we ask that we would understand your truths and how we are to uh, relate to that. And Lord, we, we ask that you would be glorified today by your teaching, by your word, and that we would glorify the name of Christ 
Father, we ask that your spirit would, would convict us where we need conviction, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, that you would bring about, Father, truth in the hearts and minds of us this morning as we read your word. Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know about you, but uh, there's something in my house that... Uh, when it's there, it doesn't last a very long time. Um, when there are Oreos in my home, I am going for them, right? I am going for them. I want them. I desire to have them. My wife told me the other day, you're just a big kid. That's why I love you. So that's what she told me the other day, and I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I like Oreos and milk just like the rest of our kids. By the way, our kids are in uh, family worship today, so they are with us. We did not send them to Children's Church. They get to enjoy uh, being with us this morning as the, the last Sunday of this month. But they're just so tasty, you know. I know where they are. They're on the second shelf right next to the granola bars, and it's hard to resist them. But... Being daddy, you know, I have a role to play, right? I have a role in which God has placed me, in, in which my five and seven-year-old look up to me, they look to me, and I have a choice to make. I can either exercise my authority in one of two ways. I can say to my children, don't eat the Oreos, daddy, because daddy told you not to. Do what I say, right? I can do that. I can do that. Or I could tell my kids, I sure do love you. I know that you desire to have the Oreos, and I want to give you these Oreos, and you know this because I have given you the Oreos before. But for your good, let us eat dinner first and enjoy the Oreos in the correct order so that we can be healthy and strong, right? <laughs> now, I'm no dietitian, as you can see, but the point is this morning, this passage of Scripture is saying God is showing us that He is a loving God who tells us why to obey what He has commanded when it comes to the governing authorities. He has shown His steadfast love over and over again. He's given His life up for us on the cross, and now we desire as believers in Christ to obey Him. We Guess what? We are free to do whatever we want, but we desire as servants of God because of our love for Him. This is what Peter's talking about here in this section of Scripture. God doesn't just tell us to be subject for the Lord's sake to government, honor the emperor, because that's what you're supposed to do. No, it is because God has taken you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And why I'm telling you this is because I've placed these governments in a specific role. I have a purpose for the governments. That's what God's telling us in this passage. To promote good and to punish evil. I, I'm, a, I'm a why guy, and I love how the Bible explains to us why. If I just told my children, don't do that because I said so, their heart doesn't grow for the things 
that are good and pleasing and understanding and knowledge. And yet God tells us these things. You see, the Bible is not just a set of rules that says, do, do this or be punished. The Bible is God's story of grace and love and how he loved us so much that he would be willing to send his son to give up his life for us. In turn, we have freedom. We have freedom to live in rebellion. But because... We are children of God because we love this God. We trust in him and we live as servants of God. We have freedom and yet we choose to be servants of God because of our love for him. In turn, our love for God and the gospel drives us to love people. Even if they are hard to love. And guess what? It drives us to respecting authority as well, even if they are difficult to respect. The context of this letter that Peter writes is very heavy, very interesting for us to understand what's going on in this passage. Peter writes this letter to encourage believers to live out their faith amidst extreme persecution. You see, in verse 1, it says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, chapter 1, verse 1, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. You see, around this time, there was extreme persecution for Christians. Around this time, the emperor was Nero. Some historians believe that the great fire that happened in A.D. 64 in Rome started with Nero the emperor. He started the fire to burn the city. These historians believe because he wanted to build a, a bigger and a better city. Guess what? Some of the citizens of the city didn't like that when three-fourths of the city was destroyed by the fire and they began to revolt and became angry with Nero. And the historians say that Nero actually blamed the fire on the Christians. And a result of this blaming the Christians, Christians were persecuted greatly throughout the Roman Empire, killed, tortured, and persecuted. And in the backdrop about this same time period, Peter writes this letter to them, the believers that are scattered, that are running the believers that are losing their family members or fleeing their homes because they claim Christ under a government who falsely accuses them and during the great persecution of the church. And Peter tells them that God has brought about salvation in their life for a purpose. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. In this you rejoice and Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Their persecution has purpose. And guess what that purpose is? It is to bring glory to God. And that is the backdrop in which Peter tells us in in chapter 2, verse 9, who these people really are as they are scattered about throughout the world, persecuted, running from the government. He says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this is what was happening. They're speaking against these people as evildoers, falsely accusing them. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. It's all for the glory of God. Whether we are persecuted by the government, which may may come at some point to the church in America. Whether we are persecuted by our family, our friends, Keep your conduct well so that you may glorify God. Gospel witness above all else. Even though they call you evildoers, show them the gospel. Show them the love of Christ because this is what Christ has done for you. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then this backdrop and all of these things lead us to the text this morning in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is our first point this morning. The Lord, the Lord God Almighty is the ultimate authority. The Lord God is the ultimate authority. Guess what? Our God is a God of order. He is a God of roles, and he has set himself as the authority. He is the creator, the maker of the universe, and thus he has the right to be the authority. As we have just read here right previous to this, we are citizens of the king. This is who we are. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. God is in his infinite wisdom has set up governing authorities to fulfill his purposes. Romans 13.1 tells us why these governing authorities exist. Romans 13, 1 says this, Let every person be subject 
to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So God has established these authorities for a purpose. And we see that purpose here as well. In verse 14, God has given the authority of the government to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Guess what? In our world today, and I I talk to Jerry Fine often, and he calls me a millennial. That's what I am, right? I am a millennial. In our millennial world today, we have a difficult word. That word is authority. It's hard for us to even say as a millennial. It's a difficult word for some of us in this room, even if you're not a millennial. Authority. I'm going to say it. Some people are, are, are tingling in their seat right now. It's sending shivers in their spine. Authority. But have you ever thought about why? Peter's saying, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's a a, a big thought right there. Man, subject to every human institution. It's not what I learned in school. It's not what I learned from the television channels. It's not what I learned from the blogs. I, I don't see that. But which one's he talking about here? Just the good ones, right? Just the good emperors? You mean the ones that don't blame Christians and falsely accuse them? No, he's talking about all parents. He's talking about all teachers. He's talking about all bosses. He's talking about all government leaders. He's talking about all leaders in the church. Guess what? I I, I struggle. I still struggle. God has brought me a long way, but I still struggle with the concept of authority. Why? Because I want to rebel. It's in my nature to rebel. I never had to teach my children how to rebel. All of a sudden, one day, they took it upon themselves to say, no, Daddy, I don't want to do that, right? I didn't have to teach them that. I didn't have to go to rebellion school to learn that. They just did that. My wife, she is, she is beautiful and lovely, and she is a rule follower to a T. If you know her, she is a rule follower. You have rule followers, you have rule benders, and you have rule breakers. She is a rule follower. I won't tell you what, what I am, but she is a rule follower. And even the most profound rule followers sometimes like to break the rules. She she told a story at uh, her sister's wedding during the toast. When they were toasting, uh, she was talking to um, her sister's husband, so her brother-in-law, 
um, Zach at at the wedding, and she was telling this story about when she was 15 that she took her parents' car without them knowing. She took it and drove it to Sonic. She took the car. They had no clue, and they get up. This is a few years back, but I was there in the room, and she talked the story, and her parents' jaws dropped to the ground. And she was telling this story that she took their car without them knowing. And, and when she got back, she saw all the pizza cleaned up and everything was cleaned up. And her and her friend dropped dead because they thought their parents were in the room. And guess what? It was her sister and her boyfriend at the time who, who she actually married later. And she tells this story. She says, I, I knew I could trust you when you never told my parents what I did. <laughs> oh, but guess what? There is an a heart of a rebellious nature. From the beginning of time, we chose mankind to take and eat what God did not design for us. Can I just be real for a minute? There is definitely a time for justified civil disobedience And that is when the government goes against the word of God. And we'll get there. We will get there in a minute. But the reality is that many of us in this room, our problem with earthly authorities is just a problem with authority in general. And that's a problem if God is our ultimate authority. Because it reflects our heart. We really don't like being told what to do. We don't. I've really had to understand about God as my authority in my life. You see, God is the authority in your life whether you recognize him as such or not. This is why the gospel is so great. He is the authority, yet he laid down his life for me. He loved me when he didn't have to. He is the good father who lays down his life for his children. He could say, don't eat the Oreos because I told you not to. And yet he says, I love you. I desire for you to have a good and pleasing life. I will tell you over and over and over again of my love. According to scripture, I will show you my love. And then I will tell you what to do. You see, even though God is the authority, he does not force faith upon his creation. God's sovereignty never negates man's responsibility. It doesn't. In the midst of his rebellion in the Garden of Eden, God showed love by coming and taking the punishment for sin upon the cross. Now, our response to his love is faith. Faith, trust in him. You see, God has given us this choice because what would love be without a choice? But guess what? God will not be known apart from submission and surrender to him. 
He will not be known. This is what he desires for his people. Because he loved us, we love him and obey him. Parents, for a time in your life, represent the authority of God in your life. So if you're a child or a young person here, for a time in your life, these parents represent the authority of God in your life. Scripture says to obey them. But parents, our job is to teach and train our children to obey God. Not teach and train them to obey us, but rather teach and train them to obey God. It's like training wheels. Obeying them is not the end goal. Obeying God is the end goal. As you grow up in obedience... The obedience turns from obeying your parents to obeying God. This is why you can say to a college student who's wanting to go to the mission field to, to live, give his life for the sake of the gospel, and his parents tell him, no, that's why you can counsel him. Do you obey God or do you obey your parents? had this question many times. Well, if they're still in the home, you obey them. If you're out of the home, you honor them by being who God has designed you to be and doing what he's designed you to do. Because ultimately, your job is to obey God, not your parents. In the same way, obedience to governing authorities is not the end goal. Rather, obedience to God is the end goal. But God uses obeying the parents, obeying the civil authorities as a way to show your obedience to God. Verse 15 and 16 tells us this. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Guess what? This is point number two. Submission to authority shares the gospel with the lost world. Submission to authority shares the gospel with the lost world. Sometimes as citizens of heaven, we can submit to the divine authority and yet forget about the world in which we live. And guess what? We can forfeit our testimony to the world who does not know this great authority, does not know God. The word here tells us that by doing good, by respecting authority, we silence the critics of the gospel those who have rejected the gospel are silenced by godly living, living under the authorities that have been put in place. One of the uh, qualifications for an overseer or pastor in the church is that they must, be, must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So let me ask you this question. What does your workplace see when your boss treats you terribly? Do they see anarchy? Do they see hatred? Or do they see the gospel played out before them? Because that's what's happening here. 
They're being, Christians are being treated terribly, falsely accused, called evildoers. And Paul, uh, Peter even talks about the workplace later on in verse 18, right after this. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. It's pretty, pretty intense here. You got bosses, masters, bosses who are treating their servants or their workers unjustly. And God says, be subject to them. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God. And guess what? This points us to Jesus. And this is what Peter does. Verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 21. Look what it says. For to, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who just judges justly. This is count, completely counterculture in our society today. Enduring suffering for the glory of God. That's counterculture to everything that everyone talks about. I deserve this. I am entitled to this. And Christ says, suffer for the glory of God. Why? Because we have been set free. We have been set free from sin and death. We are no longer Slaves to this world, we are free to live. So we shouldn't say we don't need authority because we're under Christ's authority alone as, a, as an excuse to do whatever we want. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are first servants of God. But here we go. Here's the question. You've all been thinking about this in your mind. If you're staying with me, I hope you are. Stay with me a little bit longer. But here's the question you've been asking. What if the authority wants to go against the word of God? What if the authority is completely against what God desires? Well, we have examples of that in Scripture. When the governing authorities go against the word of God, what should we do? What should we do? Well, that you know the answer to that. You glorify God. Exodus 1, when the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, told the Hebrew midwives to kill the male children during the time of Moses, verse 17 says this, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. 
Verse 20 adds, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So what happened? It seems that these midwives were not subject to the government authorities and God was pleased with them. Other instances, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to obey the law to bow down and worship the golden image of God. And guess what? God showed up in their midst in the fiery furnace, and he saved them. What about Daniel? The lion's den, Daniel chapter 6, the king issues an edict that says the people could not petition any god or man for 30 days. They could not pray to God for 30 days. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So if my children get suspended for praying in school, that's okay. Praise God. Peter and the apostles were talking to the the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter says, but we must obey God rather than men. Guess what? Peter, who writes this to be subject to every human institution, whether it be emperor or supreme or to the governor, sent to punish him, those who do evil, to praise those who do good, he writes this. In fact, he is crucified upside down by the governing authorities because he would not stop preaching the gospel. Martin Luther King, in his letters from Birmingham jail, explained that they tried to obey every law they could and they disobeyed peaceably the ones that were egregiously unjust. You see, Peter is explaining here that we as Christians are not anarchists. We should not be rebellious people. But we should stand on issues that go against the word of God for the glory of God. If we go against issues, against issues against the word of God for our own glory, we are out of place of God's word. We must do it for the glory of God or else we are just rebellious anarchists. You see, the fact that God has ordained all authority does not mean all authority should be obeyed. It is right to resist what God has appointed in order to obey what God has commanded. We must glorify God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we are first servants of God. Verse 17 says this. This is interesting here. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood Fear God, honor the emperor. This is our last point this morning, and it's this. The gospel compels us to live a life of love for God's people and respect for all people. The gospel compels us to live a life of love for God's people and respect for all people. 
You could say it like this. When we fear God, when we place God as the ultimate authority in our life, out of that flow comes a love for people because God loves people. And out of that fear of God comes a respect for all people because God is a respecter of all people. This principle must be understood by God's people. The first statement here must be understood by the church. And guess what? We have, we have failed so deeply in this issue. It's to honor everyone. You see, the world honors people because they are good. Or the world honors people because they get something in return. Not the believer. The believer honors people because they are created in the image of God. Whatever race, whatever gender, whatever issues that they may have, we honor them because they are created in the image of God. You see, there's no place in Christianity for racism. There is no place in Christianity for slavery. There is no place in Christianity for abortion. Why? Because we are a respecter of all people. Why? Because they are created in the image of God, not because they are good. The second thought here, after we are a respecter of all people, is we love the brotherhood. And guess what this is? It's a genuine love for God's people. It's a genuine love for God's church, the people of God. So that the world can say, man, I want to be a part of something like that. They love one another. They give to one another. They sacrifice to one another. They genuinely, deeply are willing to lay down their life for their brother because that is the gospel. They love with an unconditional love. Why? Because Christ loved us with an unconditional love. And man, the world, when they see that, they go, wow. That's different. They go out of their way to love people. But guess what? All of this is predicated on a healthy fear of God knowing who is in control of all things, who is the ultimate authority. And this is really the point. We know the king personally, and we serve him. And so we don't rebel against these governors for the sake of rebellion. No, we live our life to the glory of the king and make his name famous, Christ's name famous. And when the governors go against the king, we glorify the king. The last one, interesting statement here. Honor the emperor. This is the guy who's killing Christians, who's blaming Christians, who's falsely accusing Christians. It may be a jab here at the emperor. <laughs> because just after he said honor all people, he said honor the emperor. He uses the same terminology but in the Roman culture, the emperor was viewed by many of the Romans as a god. And thus, Peter is saying, he's just a man. Do not fear him 
fear God. Honor him, though, as you would all people. Why? Because he was created in the image of God, and God has given him that place of authority. Again, I just preach the text. This is hard for some of you to hear. The Lord is speaking into my heart as well. I'm just telling you what Peter says here. This is difficult in our day and age. Whether it be Obama, whether it be uh, Trump, whether it be this, whether it be Democrat, whether it be Republican, whether it be this, whatever it may be, honor all people. Respect the authority put in place, not because they are good, because our God is good. And we show our love to our God by respecting those that are put in place. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That by doing good, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The gospel and the role of government, I hope that you learned something this morning, but the point is, is that our God is good. Our God is gracious. Our God loved us so much that he would be willing to die for us. Therefore, we live out our faith for his name and his glory alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that, um, that we could see the truths of the word unfolded and that you are the good father that explains these things to us according to your word, these hard truths in which we might not understand in the world we live today it tells us so many different things. And Father, we just pray that we would clearly understand what your word tells us to live for the glory of God. And by doing that, Father, many people in this world may see who you are and how good you are and trust you for salvation because that is what we desire. May we be a church that is so focused upon proclaiming your goodness and your grace that we would just glorify you and what you say and what you do. Help us to be respecters of all people. Help us to look at people as you see them, created in the image of God. That you died for them, that you gave your life for them. Help us to see this as we go about our day, our week, our months. Father, if there's any in this room that need to give their life to surrender to you as the authority in their life, would they just do that this morning? 
and a sign of their submission, would they just pray and offer a prayer up to you and say, Lord, I know that you are in authority. Lord, I need you in my life. I want to follow you because of your good love for me. Father, we thank you for these people this morning. We thank you for coming. We thank you for honoring those who have served in our military. We ask that you would touch our hearts as we 